Hello, this is Kenny Williamson, and welcome back to another episode of McKill's Deck Chronicles. In today's episode, we are going to be listening to some more of Dr. Kent Hovind's Creation Science Seminar. In this particular seminar, um, he is talking all about the Garden of Eden. So this is a pretty good episode. I really like it. Um, I support uh, Kent Hovind's ministry. I'm part of his 777 Club. He has one of those as well. And uh, I spoke to Kent Hovind on the phone today, in fact, and um, he we're hoping he can become a guest on one of our podcasts soon. So, But until then, um, this is, like I said, this is some of his seminars that he's done. I think it's around 2005 that he did these. These are really good and got lots of information. So give it a listen and let me know what you think. And here we go. We're going to continue now talking about the Garden of Eden and what it was like. On seminar part 2B here, we're going to talk about the cavemen and quite a few other topics. The Bible says in Genesis 1, God said, I'm going to make man in his own image. If we're made in the image of God, why do we teach the kids? Grandpa was an ape. Now, evolution teaches we're getting better and someday we're going to become God. The facts are, we're getting worse. Things are falling apart. We now have an incredible genetic load. We are mentally and physically deficient compared to Adam and Eve. Things are not getting better, but we all teach the kids in the textbooks, this is Grandpa. What's the truth about the cavemen? Is it possible for an ape-like creature to turn to a human? Well, it depends what you mean by caveman, okay? There are people today who live in caves, okay? We don't call them half ape, half human. There's the world's most wanted caveman right there, Osama bin Laden. There's a former caveman. <coughs> I think someone's trying to make a monkey out of us. Was your ancestor an ape-like creature? I don't think so. Let's talk about a few of the so-called cavemen. We could spend hours on this topic, but we got more to cover here. Uh, Nebraska man was used for years as evidence for evolution. All they found for Nebraska man was one tooth. That is the entire Nebraska man right there. One tooth. Then they built an entire man from that one tooth and later made him a wife. Now, you have to really be good to know what his wife looks like from his tooth. Okay, but these are professionals. Don't question them, okay? They know what they're talking about. Later, they found out the tooth actually came from a pig. There's the real Nebraska man right there. How about Piltdown Man, named after the gravel pit it was found in in Piltdown, England. Somebody took a human skull and an ape's jaw. They filed them down and fooled everybody. In 1912, they discovered the Piltdown Man. It was in the New York Times. Darwin theory proved true from the Piltdown Man. It was going to be used in 1925 at the Scopes Monkey Trial as part of the evidence for evolution. But the judge said, the question is not, is there evidence for evolution? The question is, did he violate the law of teaching? So he was found guilty of breaking the law. The teacher was John T. Scopes down here in Dayton, Tennessee. But Piltdown Man was a hoax. Somebody had taken an ape's jawbone and a human skull, broke the uh, TMJs off, made them fit together, and fooled everybody, filed the teeth down. For 40 years, it was in the textbooks as proof for evolution. It was a fraud, exposed as a fraud, 1953. Neanderthal man is still in your textbooks, used in your town here in Knoxville, Tennessee. But it's been proven years ago, it cannot possibly be a missing link. 
long story about the Neander Valley, named after Joachim Neander, that wrote the song in the songbook, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of Creation. Great godly man. Well, back in 1856, they found a skeleton petrified, a man petrified in this valley called the Neander Valley, and they named it Neanderthal Man. The back was bent over. Well, apes walk on four legs and man walks on two, so when the Darwin's theory became popular, they resurrected the Neanderthal man and said, oh, wow, maybe he's slowly evolving, he's coming up. Well, they've known from the very beginning it was an old man with arthritis who's slowly going down. He's not coming up at all. <laughs> he's headed down. But they still keep him in the textbooks. About 300 Neanderthals have been found. Their brains are bigger than ours. Their bone structure was incredibly strong. They said they had so many muscles that the average Neanderthal could probably pick up the average NFL linebacker and fling him over the goalpost. Phenomenal strength in the Neanderthals. They gave the same skull to nine different artists and said, what did he look like in life? They got nine different answers. They said, what would you like him to look like? We're artists, you know, we can make him, you want him ape-like or human-like? You tell us what you want, we'll do it. Jack Cuazzo, a friend of mine from New Jersey, has been a dentist for 32 years. He came and spoke at our conference a few weeks ago at the boot camp we had in Pensacola. He studied the actual Neanderthal skulls in Europe. He said, these Neanderthals are just perfectly normal humans that are living to really great age. See, before the flood came, the people lived to be 900. After the flood, lifespans dropped off to 400, and then 200, and then 100. But that's still a long time to live. And it's a simple fact, the bones of your eyebrow ridge never stop growing. So if you could live to be three or 400 years old, your eyebrow ridge would stick way out. People today that use their jaws a lot, like the Aborigines in Australia are always using their jaws as a vice. They don't carry a toolbox with them. Their eyebrow ridge sticks out really far because of the chewing muscles. It pulls on the bone. The Neanderthals are perfectly normal human that are living to be two or three hundred years old. That's all they are. Their brain's bigger than ours. They're not subhuman at all. They're just really old human. There's an aborigine on the far left over there. See the eyebrow ridge sticking out? That's from chewing or using your jaw muscles a lot. There are a lot of different shapes of head. You could line up the folks in Knoxville, Tennessee and prove evolution just by the shape of the skull and <laughs> drive downtown. You'll see what I'm talking about, okay? There's Cro-Magnon man, still used in the textbooks, yet it's perfectly normal human. Why on earth is that considered a missing link? They've got one in there called um, Homo sapien is modern man. He's listed as Cro-Magnon. It's not modern, it's not a missing link at all. One they've got in there now is called Australopithecus afarensis. That was proven wrong in 18, I mean in 1973. 30 years ago, proven wrong. Why are they keeping that in the textbooks as evidence for evolution? They've got Australopithecus africanus, or afarensis, better known as Lucy. How many have ever heard of Lucy before? Donald Johansson found Lucy in 1974, Ethiopia. He had gone there with a grant to look for missing links. Somebody gave him some money, said, here, go find a missing link. If you don't find one, no more money. Two weeks before his grant money expired, he discovered Lucy. Highly motivated, I suspect. And that would be a suspect, by the way, in a court of law, you know. Lucy was three feet tall. It was obviously a chimpanzee of some kind. Now, the bones of the skull were crushed thoroughly. Could not tell anything about the skull. But when they put it together for your kid's textbook, they can make it half human, half ape. They named it Lucy because they were listening to the song, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Very popular back then which, by the way, has the initials LSD, which they must have been on when they found this thing. But uh, the knee joint that was labeled Lucy's knee in National Pornographic, uh, Geographic was actually found a mile and a half away and 200 feet deeper. 
But National Geographic labeled it Lucy's Knee. It's not Lucy's Knee. It's a mile and a half away, for heaven's sake, okay? There's quite a controversy about that knee joint still. But this, the knee joint is the best evidence they have that Lucy was becoming a human. Because an ape has the lower and upper leg that are in a straight line with each other. A human leg goes up to your knee and angles off to the side because your hips are wider than your knees. Lucy's knee angled off to the side. The femur angled. And Donald said, see, that proves she's becoming a human. No. Any monkey that climbs trees has an angled femur. What he found was a tree-climbing monkey. It's not proof it's becoming a human. He said, well, the bones are slightly bigger than a regular ape. Well, that's true. That doesn't prove it's becoming a human. The bones of a Clydesdale are slightly bigger than a regular horse. That doesn't prove it's becoming a truck, for heaven's sake, okay? What he found was a heavy-duty chimpanzee, and probably the pre-flood chimpanzees and everything was probably more heavy-duty. If they're living longer, much healthier, that's all he found. There are big horses and little horses today, by the way. St. Louis Zoo put human feet on their Lucy display. Not one foot bone or hand bone was found. Not one. Every other oscillopithecine that's been found has curled toes. Professor Menton at Washington University said, the statue is a complete misrepresentation. That's a big fancy word for lie. I prefer, I prefer smaller words. It's a lie. The zoo director said, zoo officials have no plans to knuckle under. We cannot be updating every exhibit based on every new piece of evidence. We look at the overall exhibit and the impression it creates, and we think this impression it creates is correct. Uh, Bruce, are you telling me you would lie to kids coming through your zoo just to get an impression across to them that evolution is true? You mean your theory is more important than the facts? That's exactly correct. They will lie to the kids going through these science centers and zoos to make them believe this evolution theory. And there are lies in the textbooks, like 60 of them. We cover that on video number four, lies in the textbooks. In Africa, they found perfectly normal human footprints in a layer of ash that had turned to stone. Perfectly normal human footprints. But the footprints were in ash, supposed to be three and three quarter million years old. They studied the footprints and said, wow, these footprints are exactly the same as ours today. Russell Tuttle, University of Chicago, studied the footprints carefully. He went and found a place where people never wear shoes. They never wear shoes, ever. And he studied their footprints. He had them run through the mud, walk through the mud, you know, jog through the mud, trot, skip. He said the footprints of these people that never wear shoes are exactly like the footprints found in Laetoli, Africa. Identical. And then he said, if the Laetoli footprints were not known to be so old, we would conclude they were made by a member of our own genus. In other words, if we didn't know better, we would think a human made these. Well, how do you know better? Oh, because the rock is too old. This is an example of where the evolution theory is a hindrance to common sense and to scientific research. It's one of the greatest hindrances to science. It's not part of science. It's counterproductive to science. Then National Geographic put human-ape-like human ape mixture features on these uh, creatures walking through this ash. Now, keep in mind, not one bone was found. No bones are found. If you find perfectly normal human footprints, what would justify you putting dark-skinned, ape-like creatures walking there on your drawing? And if I was African-American, I'd get upset that they always use dark skin on the missing links. Like there's some kind of, you know, darker skin is less evolved. <laughs> That's what they're trying to imply here. And why did they add this toe separation? Notice the big toe is separated away from the rest of them on the picture. They did it on purpose because it's a real serious problem going from an ape-like foot to a human foot. Apes have a toe that sticks off to the side like a thumb. That's so they can grab a, tr a tree branch. 
and hang by their back feet. You can't do that. Okay? If you want to practice it, I'd suggest you start on a low branch for practice, okay? <laughs> You're going to hurt your head. But here they have four million years of bipedalism, and they gave every one of these so-called missing links human feet. Because the foot is a serious problem for the evolutionist. Charles Oxnard studied Lucy and said, the bones of Lucy represent an animal that is not in the line of humans. It's not a missing link. He did a computer multivariant analysis of the bones, okay? There could be these creatures, the little ape-like creatures that walk upright, still alive in Sumatra today. Lucy may represent an animal that is still alive. Peking man was used for years as evidence for evolution. Everything disappeared during World War II. But they found a cave with a bunch of crushed monkey skulls in there. The skull had been smashed, and they found a bunch of human tools. And so some brilliant scientist said, wow, these monkeys are learning to make tools. Oh, and they're practicing on their head. Yeah, that's a good one. Let's keep that one right over here. Well, duh. They didn't tell anybody. They found 10 normal humans in the same cave, skeletons of humans. See, in some cultures, they like to eat monkey brains. You ever seen Indiana Jones? Mm-hmm. They just found a cave where they were eating monkeys. That's where they had their feasts or something. It's not a missing link. Homo erectus is still in the textbooks. Homo erectus used to be called Java man. Then they changed it to Pithecanthropus erectus and now called Homo erectus. It was found by Dr. Dubois, a Dutch anatomist, who went to Indonesia purposely to try to find missing links. He hired a bunch of prison convicts to go dig for him. He wasn't even there when they found it. What they found was an ape's skull cap, three human teeth, and a thigh bone found a year later, 50 feet away. Dubois, Dubois put them all together and said, we have a missing link here. You don't even know those animal bones go together. Three teeth, thigh bone, and a skull cap from an ape. This was also going to be used in 1925 as evidence for evolution at the Scopes Monkey Trial. The Java Man. The famous anatomist uh, Virchow said, in my opinion, this creature is, a, is an animal, a giant gibbon. In fact, the thigh bone has not the slightest connection with the skull. Dubois hid the fact that he found two human skulls in the same area. He put those under his bed under the floor. Like Edgar Allan Poe, you know, telltale heart, only this was telltale head. But there's no evidence of how man evolved at all. Fossil evidence for evolution for uh, humans is fragmentary. Fossil evidence of chimpanzee evolution is absent altogether. There is no evidence of how chimpanzees evolved. But yet you have articles in the magazines all the time, you know, about evolution. Where are we going? I can tell you that. You're going straight to hell if you don't accept Christ. It's real simple. That's a no-brainer. In Skull, they were going to have a big display of the orc man. O-R-C-E, the orc man. They were going to put the, have a big you know, party for the horse man they discovered until they discovered it's actually a piece of a skull fragment from a donkey four months old. That was going to be the missing link. A dolphin's rib had been labeled as human collarbone in the museum for a long time. So somebody said, oh, that's a dolphin's rib. That's not a human collarbone. The hobbit was just found here in 19, or 2004. The hobbit was a little bitty, tiny human, probably a result of uh, secondary microcephaly dwarfism. Just a normal human, about three and a half feet tall. There are people like that today running around the planet. Okay. There's a good book on the so-called cavemen, if you want to read this. If you're being taught this in school, get the book by Marvin Lubinow, Bones of Contention. Excellent book. It'll really put everything into perspective for you. The only missing link I can find is up between these guys' ears. You know, something is missing. Somebody's professors spend all their free time digging in the dirt looking for bones. My dog does the same thing.
but we don't make the taxpayers pay his salary while he does it, okay? Now, most states have laws requiring textbooks to be accurate. Florida has one, California has one, Texas has one, Wisconsin has one, Alabama has one. The law says textbooks should be accurate. Minnesota says teachers shall not deliberately suppress or distort subject matter. But Minnesota textbooks are still teaching all these as evidence for evolution. When they, all the ones in the red circle have been proven, they cannot possibly be a missing link. By the way, the Minnesota textbook, and most textbooks now, instead of calling man homo sapien, like we used to be called, they're now called homo sapien sapien. Wow, what's that mean? Well, sapien means wise. So we're the wise, wise man. See, the Bible says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And if you think your grandpa swung by his tail from a tree, you're a fool. Plain and simple, okay? This textbook says, he's the daddy of us all. Oh, that's silly. You don't know he's the daddy of anybody. You find bones in the dirt, you don't know it's the daddy of anybody. It's just the mother of all mammals from the Smithsonian. If you find bones, you don't know it's the mother of anything. See, if you find fossil in the dirt, all you know is it died. You couldn't prove it had any kids, and you sure couldn't prove it had different kids. And why would you think a bone you found in the dirt can do something animals today cannot do, which is produce something other than their kind? No fossil would count as evidence in a court of law, as evidence for evolution in a court of law. So where does the Stone Age fit into the Bible? Was there ever a Stone Age? Well, right after the flood, Noah couldn't tell his grandson to go to the hardware store and get him a shovel. There were no hardware stores. They had a devastated society, folks. They got off the ark and everything outside is destroyed. You have to totally rebuild civilization. They had a Gilligan's Island situation. You got a bunch of smart people. Well, Gilligan's Island did not have a bunch of smart people. You know, maybe one. But they're on this d devastated planet. So they're going to have to rebuild from scratch and you're going to make stone tools. Because that's much quicker than digging the iron ore out, smelting it down and making an iron tool. You know, by the time it takes you three weeks to make your axe, you're going to starve to death, okay? So they're going to make stone tools. And people that are driven out of society are going to travel around in small herds and packs following, uh, following uh, migrating animals, and they don't want to carry 50 pounds worth of stone tools with them. It's quicker to make your stone tools on the job site. You follow the mammoths until you catch up with them or the buffalo, and then you quick make your tools, kill the buffalo or the mammoth, and you butcher it and leave your tools behind and go on someplace else. And then we today find these stone tools and say, wow, look at this Clovis point. Wow, perfectly shaped, perfectly balanced. This guy is smart. This is an advanced civilization. And then they find another arrowhead that looks kind of crude, you know, and it's not chipped very smoothly. And they say, wow, this guy's pre-human. You're not quite as smart. You know, maybe you got the whole wrong perspective on that. Maybe the one that looks kind of crude was found by a guy who's in a bigger hurry because the mammoth is getting away, okay? He just doesn't have time to sit there and play with his arrowhead for an hour. He wants to go shoot the thing now before it runs off. So it might be an example of how much time they have to spend on it. Not at all an example of their intelligence. Right? But not only were people living longer before the flood, animals were too. And they were growing bigger. Probably much bigger. Here's a hornless rhinoceros, 18 feet tall. That's a big rhino. People say, that's a prehistoric animal. No, did you know the word prehistoric was not even in the dictionary until about 100 years ago? We collect old dictionaries in our science center. If you have some old dictionaries from 17 or 1800s, we'd love to get them. I got a dictionary from 1766. The word prehistoric was not there. We got a dictionary from 1860. 
the word prehistoric is not there. No such thing as prehistoric back in 1860. Here's a dictionary from 1892. The word prehistoric is still not there. See, there are things that are pre-flood, but there's no such thing as prehistoric. We have history from the first day. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You can't go before that. So there's no such thing as prehistoric. But before the flood came, this canopy of water would increase air pressure, which would make things behave very differently. It makes insects grow much bigger. See, insects are limited on size by based on the amount of oxygen they can get. Insects that live in oxygen-rich waters get a thousand times heavier than those that don't. It has to do with the surface area to volume ratio. Without boring everybody for a half hour, the larger an insect gets, it has more skin, but not compared to its volume. The surface area compared to its volume ratio drops off, as you can see on the chart here. So as an insect gets larger, it can't, doesn't have enough skin, because insects breathe through their skin. But giant insect fossils have been found, like this dragonfly with a 50-inch wingspan. How'd you like to hit one of those at 70 miles an hour? You take the bug deflector and the hood right off and join you in the front seat. Big dragonflies been found fossilized on this planet. Today they get four or five inches long, you know, not very big. Pre-flood they were huge. Cockroaches get pretty good size today. We raise them in our museum in Pensacola, the Madagascar hissing cockroaches. But did you know giant cockroaches have been found? 18-inch long cockroach fossils. You didn't call Orkin in those days. You called the National Guard to come exterminate the house, okay? Giant fossil centipede, eight and a half feet long, was found. Grasshoppers, two feet long, have been found fossilized. You can make a meal out of those. Tarantula with a three-foot leg span, fossil. Sixty-foot cattail fossils have been found. A donkey nine feet high, from Texas, of course. Everything's bigger in Texas, okay? Giant sloths obviously lived on the planet. Now, you're going to be told that was millions of years ago. No, it wasn't. It was just before the flood came. Buffalo are found with horn spans up to 12 feet. Elk with 12-foot antlers. Some of you deer hunters are thinking, wow, that'll look good on the wall. How many of you go out and try to shoot Bambi's daddy? Come on, be honest, okay? There we go, good, good. And eat them too. You know, fossil kangaroos have been found 10 feet tall. And fossil wombat, the size of a mini. Here's a fossil of a guinea pig that was 1,500 pounds. That's a big guinea pig. Birds have been found 13 feet tall. Here's an uh, elephant bird egg. The one behind it's an ostrich egg, which is also huge. <laughs> they find fossils of prehistoric goose that stood as tall as an elephant and weighed half a ton. How'd you like to have that for Thanksgiving dinner? Tell Tiny Tim about that goose. <laughs> yeah. Fossil beavers have been found 8 feet long. Here's a guy holding a beaver jaw from about a seven or eight foot beaver. There's a six foot beaver found in Ohio. See, if you have bigger trees before the flood, you would need bigger beavers to chew them down. Mm -hmm. God kept everything balanced in those days. Salamanders today get from five to eight inches long, typically. Did you know fossil salamanders have been found that are six feet long? Increasing air pressure means more gas gets into the water, and fish have to breathe in the water through their gills. So if you had more gas dissolved in the water from greater air pressure, now the fish can get bigger. And you can get a lot more fish per cubic mile. Today, if a shark has a tooth about an inch long, it indicates the shark was probably about 15 feet long. Did you know fossil shark's teeth are found indicating sharks used to get 80 feet long on this planet?
Can you imagine an 80-foot shark? The movie Jaws had a 25-foot shark. You'd have to use Jaws for bait to catch one of these megalodons. Dr. Baugh is raising piranha in an aquarium with a stronger magnetic field around it. Just increasing the magnetic field is doing something because his piranha are four times larger than normal. When he raised fruit flies in a hyperbaric chamber, they lived ten times longer than normal just by increasing air pressure. If you combine the air pressure and the filtered sunlight and the stronger magnetic field, you'd probably get Garden of Eden conditions. They probably lost at least those things, maybe, maybe, at least those three things, maybe more uh, things have been lost since then. Oysters were found two miles above sea level, 11-foot oysters weighing 600 pounds, two miles above sea level in the Andes Mountains. When they climbed Mount Everest, they found petrified clams on top of Mount Everest. Interesting thing about these clams, they're petrified and they're closed. Now, I'd like to point out, Mount Everest is a little ways from the beach, first of all, okay? About 450 miles to the beach. And clams do not climb mountains very well. And when a clam dies, it opens. You can walk along the beach and find a million seashells. You hardly ever find a matched pair. And you never find them closed if they're dead. They open right away. How do you get petrified closed clams on top of Mount Everest? Uh, I think there was a flood. But I don't think the flood was over Mount Everest. Mount Everest wasn't there. Psalm 104 tells us the mountains arose during the last part of the flood. The mountain ranges formed during the end of the flood, probably as a result of the earth's crust being cracked open and busted up into pieces, and pieces would lift up and flex back and forth. We cover all that on video number six. Reptiles never stop growing. It's a simple fact. Most reptiles never stop growing. They grow all their life. People stop growing. When you're 16 or 18, you're going to quit growing, at least vertically. Some go horizontally thereafter, but reptiles never stop growing. What would happen to a reptile if you put him in the Garden of Eden and let him live to be 900 years old? You'd have a big lizard, a really big lizard. Dinosaurs were big lizards that lived with Adam and Eve before the flood came. You can get these Jackson chameleons right now at the pet store. What's he going to look like at about 15 tons? Probably some kind of triceratops. Dinosaur means terrible lizard, and dinosaurs lived with humans all through history. They just had a different name for them. We'll cover more on dinosaurs on video number three. But dinosaur bones and human bones have been found together. Dinosaur bones were found in the same rock strata as these fossilized human hands. Dinosaur bones and mammal bones found together. <clears throat> Here's one of the Ica stones showing a human riding a dinosaur. Dr. Baugh has a couple of the stones in his museum. We have eight in our museum now of these Ica stones. I think we have the largest collection in America of these Ica stones from Peru. Many of them show dinosaurs on there. Cover more on that on seminar part three about dinosaurs in the Bible. Dinosaur footprints and human footprints have been found together in Glen Rose, Texas. I know there's controversy about this. I've been there five times. I've heard all the critics on it. And I've been there myself to check it out, okay? But go to Dallas, Texas, and go south 45 miles to Glen Rose, and you'll find the Paluxy River flows through this little town, and it's all full of limestone. The whole area is limestone, kind of like around here in Knoxville. Well, that river cuts through this limestone layers. In 1908, there was a flood. 17, uh, the river dropped 17 feet per mile, but this flood was incredible. It was, I think, 30 feet above flood stage or something. It was just an incredible flood in 1908. It ripped off the bottom of the river, tore off the layer of limestone. Two foot of limestone was ripped up. 
Underneath was a new layer of limestone, and when the river dried up that next summer, they discovered there are hundreds of dinosaur footprints. Dinosaur footprints. It's called Dinosaur Valley State Park. There's a book on the table uh, right there, if you want to read more about it. They chiseled out lots of the footprints and took them to museums to save them so they wouldn't get eroded by the river. Took out huge blocks in the 1930s and set them up under dinosaur skeletons. Footprints are big. Here's a, guy, here's a little kid taking a bath in one. But sometimes in, these, in this area they find human footprints with the dinosaur footprints. Human tracks and dinosaur tracks together. We could spend all day talking about this. There's been thousands of uh, reports on this thing made. Some believe it, some don't believe it. Uh, here's a trail of human tracks and crossing a trail of dinosaur tracks. And the human footprints, some of them are pretty good size, and occasionally they're found inside the dinosaur footprint. Well, if you're running through the mud to go escape the flood, that's the logical place to step, right where somebody else already stepped, just like walking through deep snow. And I think a lot of people get the wrong idea. They think Noah got in the ark, the rain started, and everybody died in the first 10 minutes. It probably took six months to kill everybody on this planet. They'd be running, looking for high ground. The water kept coming up. See, the rain was 40 days, but the water said, the Bible says, the water kept coming up for 150 days. Because most of the water is coming from inside the crust of the earth, up through the fountains of the deep. The flood, the, the rain did almost nothing for the flood. It was water from inside that caused the flood. It probably took six months to kill everybody. So they'd be running, you know, when the tide goes down, they'd run to higher ground, and pretty soon they'd become fighting, they'd be fighting for this higher ground, which is becoming more and more scarce. But the footprints are pretty good size. We sell castings of this one if you want to get one. It's on our website, Dr. Dino. You can see the size uh, 24 human footprint. We had a kid try to fill it up one time, couldn't quite do it. Had a size 18. They chiseled out rock ledges and found more footprints underneath the undisturbed limestone. One of the footprints was sawn across the toes. They looked at it end grain, and you can see where it squeezed down and distorted the lamination lines. I know there's arguments about it. I've read, I think, everything on, it, on the topic. Sure read a lot, but I, I'm very convinced they're legitimate. The footprints have a six to seven foot stride. This would take a big man to be stepping six or seven feet every time. A friend of mine was down there when they were digging out the footprints. He wrote me this letter. He's now an assistant pastor at a Southern Baptist church in Arizona. He said, Dr. Hoven, I grew up in Glen Rose. I was on an excavation with Dr. Carl Ball. We followed the footprints of a man beside a dinosaur's footprints. It was as if the man were walking with the dinosaur. Nova was there to film the dig. There was also an evolutionist who was arguing with Dr. Ball the entire time. Nova didn't film much of the tracks or our dig, but they did interview the evolutionist. He told them he had not seen anything there to disprove evolution. What he didn't tell the camera was he had refused to turn around and look at the tracks we were working on. When they found one, they would tap him on the shoulder and say, uh, Sir, you want to look at this? He'd say, No, I don't want to see it. He stood with his back to the dig and the tracks while making these statements. Nova knew the man had not looked at the tracks, but they didn't report that. See, Nova apparently is committed to a theory called evolution. And anything that goes against the theory is just simply not going to be aired on TV. Period. The theory has to be protected from criticism. One guy said, well, if they find human footprints with dinosaur footprints, all that proves is that there was a dinosaur with feet like a human. Well, now, that's just a brilliant way to look at it, isn't it? Another example where the evolution theory is a hindrance to research. Well, creationists state that humans and dinosaurs were contemporaneous in time. Were this momentous statement true, and the names of its discoverers would thunder down the corridors of time as individuals who made one of the most outstanding discoveries of the 20th century? Well, unless there's a media blockout, that's true. 
Okay? There are plenty of good books about that, but also they found a hammer, a fossilized human hammer, a man-made hammer. People say they didn't have any iron before the flood. Oh, sure they did. The Bible says Tubal-Cain was an artificer in brass and iron. You can get a replica of the hammer if you want to keep that on your desk. Check our catalog, drdino.com, or our website, drdino.com. This bell found inside a lump of coal. They knew about iron and metals before the flood came. They were extremely smart. You kids will be taught in school that the geologic column represents the history of the earth and that the Carboniferous era is when coal formed. <laughs> That's baloney. Coal formed at the time of the flood because that world was buried. Okay? They found a gold chain inside a lump of coal back in 1881 in Illinois. This iron pot found inside a lump of coal. This thing found inside solid rock, supposed to be 600 million years old. Here I am in Nampa, Idaho, holding what's called the Nampa image. A well driller found this little doll 320 feet down while he's drilling a well. Probably a pre-flood doll. This uh, battery thing was found in Iraq, supposed to be a 2,000-year-old battery. They knew about electricity a long time ago. The Egyptians knew about electricity and knew how to electroplate things. Workers found human bones in a copper arrowhead in a vein of silver. Advanced stone tools were found in a gold mine in California. They're digging in the middle of this mountain, digging a shaft back into a gravel pit under layers of lava supposed to be 55 million years old, and they find human tools in there. Professor Holmes of the Smithsonian was one of the most vocal critics of the California finds. He said, Perhaps if Professor Whitney had fully appreciated the story of human evolution, as it is understood today, he would have hesitated to announce the conclusions, notwithstanding the imposing array of testimony. Is he saying he shouldn't have announced this finding because it goes against the theory? Is that what he's saying? <laughs> That's exactly what he's saying. And folks, I'm telling you, there are people that are so dedicated to that stupid evolution theory that they will block out from their mind and from print, if they can, anything that goes against it. They defend the theory with religi religious fervor. Smithsonian is very responsible for doing a lot of this stuff of hiding evidence against evolution. In 1950s, Thomas Lee from the National Museum of Canada found advanced stone tools in a gravel deposit. The problem was the gravel deposit had been dated at... 65 to 125,000 years old, which is way too old for humans to be in Canada. So the director of the museum was fired for refusing to fire the discoverer. Tons of artifacts disappeared into storage bins. The discovery had to be killed. It would have forced the rewriting of almost every book in the business. We can't have you find something that goes against our theory because all of the books we've printed talk about how wonderful the theory is. And now you're going to make us rewrite all these books, so you're fired. This coin was found by a well driller in Illinois, over 100 feet below the surface, never was analyzed. The flood buried that world. God not only told him what to do and how to live before the flood, he also told him what to eat. He gave him a perfect diet. God said, I want you to eat the herbs, kids, eat your vegetables, the fruit, and the seeds. Genesis 1.29. We don't do that much. We eat the hamburger, french fries, and coke. God said, eat the fruit, vegetables, and seeds. When you eat the fruit, you should eat the seed. When you eat a peach, eat the seed. You say, that thing's hard. Well, crack it open with a hammer. The seed is inside the hull, okay? And by the way, there's a good book. A lady saw my seminar, got all excited, went on a Garden of Eden diet, and totally revolutionized her health, and wrote a good book on that, following the Eden diet. If you want to get that, you're right to be beautiful. But... Uh, you should eat the seed. Now be sure to get organically grown seeds, not the ones raised on steroids and pesticides. 
But the seeds contain a bitter substance called cyanide that'll give you a pucker that'll last about an hour and a half. But these seeds contain a vitamin called vitamin B17, which is half cyanide. They say, oh, that's poison. No, it's not either. Hydrogen's explosive. Ask the folks on the Hindenburg, they found out. And oxygen supports combustion. Now, who in their right mind would spray hydrogen and oxygen on a fire to try to put it out? Every fireman on the planet. What do you get if you mix hydrogen and oxygen? Water. Okay. Sodium is poisonous. Chlorine is poisonous. You mix them together, you get salt, which is perfectly wonderful. So the cyanide found in the seeds is mixed with benzaldehyde. Both are poison, but together they're harmless. Until they bump into a cancer cell. There's a book about this topic called World Without Cancer. Plenty of websites about that topic. If you want to read more, there's a bunch of stuff there on the screen and on my website, drdino.com. There's a tribe of folks in northern Pakistan called the Hunza. The Hunza people never get cancer. When the tribe was first discovered, their average age was 160. This is one of the valleys up there in the Himalaya mountains. This led to the legend of Shangri-La. How many have ever heard of the valley of Shangri-La, the valley where you live forever? Well, they didn't live forever, but they lived an awfully long time. The Hunza people's favorite food to eat is apricot seeds. Now today they typically live to be about 90. They've had a lot of contact with the outside world. But apricot seeds are kind of interesting. They take the apricot seeds and squeeze them and get oil out of them. They put the oil on their skin and the women don't wrinkle. They're really good looking at 70 and 80. Hunzas eat these apricot seeds like we eat peanuts. They just love them. And they never get cancer. You know, people that take nutritional therapy to cure cancer have a much better survival rate. Now, they don't all still survive, I understand, okay? But it's about 10 times the opportunity to live than it is from taking the conventional therapies. There's plenty of good books on this topic. Jason Vale uh, teaches you should eat apricot seeds to cure cancer. He said, cancer cannot survive in a body of a person that consumes apricot seeds. Jason Vale simply recommended that people eat apricot seeds, and they arrested him and put him in jail. He's still in jail now for telling people to eat apricot seeds. Because the FDA wants people to take drugs to get well, not seeds to get well, because they can't regulate seeds. They can't make money off of it. It all goes back to money. You know, follow the yellow brick road, uh, the money trail. For years, sailors died of a horrible disease called scurvy. The British Navy lost a million sailors to scurvy. Does anybody know how they cured scurvy? Vitamin C. They didn't even know about vitamin C. They just knew if you eat limes, you don't get it. They called them the limes, didn't they? Take vitamin, take, take limes on board. Many diseases that we get today are caused by a deficiency of a vitamin. It's not what you're eating that's killing you. It's what you're not eating that's killing you. If you don't get enough berry, uh, vitamin B, you get beriberi, pellagra, rickets. All those are vitamin deficiency diseases. The Bible says God gave herb for the service of man and bread to strengthen man's heart. Did you know bread used to strengthen your heart? But keep in mind, you know, the love of money, root of all evil. They learned years ago, if they take out the vitamin E, the lecithin, and the omega-3 fatty acids, they take them out of the wheat, make the bread with white flour, the bread lasts for months. But the people started dying of heart attacks and strokes and circulation problems. See, it's a simple formula. The whiter the bread, the quicker you're dead. <clears throat> now, it's not the white bread that's killing you. It's what's not in the bread that's killing you. See, God made bread to strengthen your heart. And if you need, remember the Bible talked about our daily bread? 
But people who were making bread to sell got tired of having half of it go bad on the shelf where they couldn't sell it. So they had to figure out a way to make the bread last longer to increase profits. It all goes back to money. Follow the yellow brick road. There are two philosophies of health. One is based upon evolution, which says your body is nothing but chemicals that got together by chance over billions of years. So you, to treat diseases, you add more chemicals. It's called drug therapy. If you have a headache, you say, Doctor, I have a headache. He says, Here, take an aspirin. Well, now hold on a minute. What caused your headache? Was it the lack of an aspirin that caused your headache? Are you suffering from an aspirin deficiency? Aren't you treating the symptom instead of the cause? I mean, think about it. See, if you're driving down the highway and the oil light comes on your car, you've got two choices. Find the problem and fix it, or unplug the light. You say, you would never unplug the light. That'd be stupid. Yes, I know that'd be stupid. The light's not the problem. The light's trying to tell you about a problem. And believe it or not, your headache is not your problem. Your headache's trying to tell you about a problem. Deficiency in magnesium, maybe, or protein, I don't know. But most of the drugs that we take today are to unplug lights. They're not to fix problems. They're to fix symptoms. And sometimes that's necessary. I'm not against drugs all the time, but I'm telling you folks, we've gone nuts. Drug companies don't make money when you're well. And the love of money is the root of all evil. Most diseases are deficiency diseases. You're low in a vitamin or a mineral or an oil. There are 16 vitamins, 60 minerals, and three oils your body needs every day. Just give it plenty, okay? There's a good book by Bill Sardi, a friend of mine in California, called The Power of Healing, The Power of God. We're out of it on the table, but you can order that if you want to study more on health. Or get his other book, The Bible Prescription for Health and Longevity, uh, by Bill Sardi. And before you get excited about them putting fluoride in your water, you might want to read about the truth behind fluoride that they add to our water systems and how dangerous that is. Back in 1845, a doctor in Vienna, Austria, was horrified because 30% of the women giving birth in the hospital died. 30%. So this doctor noted that the doctors would examine the bodies of the women who died and then, without washing their hands, go examine the next expectant mother. They didn't know about microscopic organisms back then. But Dr. Semmelweis insisted the doctors in his hospital wash their hands after examining a dead body. The death rate dropped to 2%. Anybody know what happened to Dr. Semmelweis because of his great discovery? He was fired. Three hospitals in a row fired him. Finally, he ended up in a mental institution where a patient murdered him. Just for insisting you wash your hands, 3,000 years earlier, in the book of Leviticus, God had told Moses, Tell the people, when you touch a dead body, you are unclean, and wash your hands and your body before you touch anybody else. God said that 3,000 years before science figured it out. The other philosophy of medicine is based upon creation, which says your body is designed by God, and He gave us the food to meet our needs, vitamins, minerals, etc. It's called nutrition therapy. We have much more on that on our video series called The Bible and Health, if you want to get a whole lot more on that topic. See, the average number of people that die every year from taking herbs is zero. Every year, about three people die from taking vitamins. Every year, about 320 people die from taking over-the-counter drugs. About 9,000 people die from foodborne illnesses. And every year, 90 to 110,000 people die from taking correctly prescribed drugs. This is not counting the incorrectly prescribed. 
This is those that you, they told you to take, and you took it and you died. Twice as many as died in the Vietnam War in 10 years die every year from taking correctly prescribed drugs. There are also two philosophies of government. We get into more of this on video 5, but one's based on evolution, which says laws come from man's opinion, the rights are granted by the government, and the government should be the all-powerful provider with welfare and everything else. It's called a democracy. Democracies are dangerous forms of government. They always become dictatorships. And they always talk about this, you know, universal health care. Well, 70 to 80 percent of all health care costs in America are from self-induced problems. If you want to take drugs and drink alcohol and smoke, that's your business. But if you want me to pay for it when you get sick, that's my business. If we're going to have universal health care, why don't we have universal auto care? I mean, if you run your car into a tree, the government buys you, buys you a new car. You back into somebody in the parking lot and scratch it, hey, that's okay, the government will fix it. You blow up your engine because you forgot to change oil, that's okay, the government will fix it. Why don't we have universal house care? See, if you've ever owned a house and rented it out to somebody else, you will understand. How many know what I'm talking about? Renters just don't look at it the same way owners do, do they? And when it's your responsibility to take care of your health, you'll take care of it. And when you bought the car, you won't back it into a tree and laugh about it. <laughs> You'll cry when you hit the tree. The other philosophy of, of government is based on creation, which says laws come from the Creator, rights are unalienable, and the government should be limited. It's called a republic. More on that on video number five. <clears throat> we could talk about that for two hours. Genesis 1.30, and we'll quit here. God said to every beast of the earth, to every fowl of the air, and everything that creepeth upon the earth, when there is life, I've given green herb. You mean everything that lived on earth ate plants before the flood came? That's exactly right. You say, Brother Hovind, look at those teeth. Now that's a meat eater. No, that's a panda bear. You know, sharp teeth do not indicate meat eating. There's a deer in China. It's called the water deer. You can look it up on the internet. Water deer. Has teeth like a saber-toothed tiger. You look at a saber-tooth. Oh, wow, that's a meat eater. No, that's a vegetarian. Okay? How about that one? Now that's a meat eater. Look at those sharp teeth, Hovind. No, sorry, that's a fruit bat. How about that one? That's a meat eater. No, that's a vegetarian monkey. There's a lion that refused to eat meat all of its life. Lived to be 11 years old. It was used in movies as an actor. Finally got killed in an accident on the movie set. Refused to eat meat of any kind. After the flood's over, Genesis 9, God blessed Noah and the boys and said, Go have a bunch of kids. And boy, they did too. Here we are. He said, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. You know the first change after the flood, animals became afraid of man. They weren't afraid before. Now they became afraid of man. Second change after the flood, God said, Noah, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Now you can eat meat. And because of that, there's a lot of suffering in the world. Animals suffer so we can eat, and it's perfectly fine to eat meat. But God made a perfect world, and man destroyed it. Man brought death and sin into this world. Paul said, for I reckon, that proves he's a southerner, that the sufferings of this present time, is there suffering in the world today? <sighs> Lots of it. The whole world's filled with groaning and travailing and pain. Charlie Darwin said, I'm bewildered. I had no intention to write atheistically, but there seems to be so much misery in the world. Charlie couldn't understand why God made a world with suffering. Charlie, God didn't make a world with suffering. But Charlie Darwin thought, from the war of famine and nature and death 
famine, for of nature was from famine and death, the most exalted object we're capable of conceiving. Wait a minute. Charlie, are you saying that war and famine and death is what exalts us to a higher level? That's exactly what he says, and that's exactly what evolution teaches today. Nothing's changed. Death is the hero of the plot for the evolutionist. The Bible says, God made a perfect world. Man wrecked it. By one man, sin came into the world, and death by sin. It was Adam's fault. You can't blame a wrecked car on the manufacturer. Send a picture to the manufacturer of a wreck and say, Hey, why did you build a car like this? <laughs> it didn't look like this when it left the factory. Today, folks, we are living in a junkyard. Now, I like living on planet Earth, and Knoxville's a beautiful place, but I'm telling you, folks, this is nothing compared to what Adam and Eve saw. This is a junkyard, but God's going to fix it back. Someday the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and a fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. A little child's going to lead a leopard or a lion? Hey, Mommy, look at the big kitty I found. Can I keep the kitty, Mommy? Sure, honey, put the big kitty in the backyard and give her some grass. It's a hoven lions don't eat grass. Oh, they will one day. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. A guy in Canada sent me a video clip of bears in his yard eating grass for two hours straight. Just nothing but grass. The Bible says the child shall die a hundred years old. They're going to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Now, there's not a whole lot, not, not enough scripture to be real dogmatic, but it appears that there's going to be a thousand year span coming after the end of this age when if you're saved, you're going to get to live here for a thousand years with everything fixed back, Garden of Eden conditions. Kids, you're going to get to have your own pet dinosaurs. That's going to be cool. Then he's going to make new heavens and a new earth. Isaiah 65, 2 Peter 3, new heavens, new earth, Revelation 21, new heaven, new earth. You can't even imagine what that's going to be like. I sure can't. The Bible says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. God has things planned for his kids that you can't even think about. I'm going to give you one to try to think about. This is the electromagnetic spectrum. <clears throat> I taught physics. I've got to get this in here somewhere. This contains all the different wavelengths, radio waves, microwaves, including a little bitty slice called light, the color spectrum, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Your eyeball is able to see those colors, but that's only a small piece of a huge spectrum. Suppose God gives us new eyes when we get to heaven, and we're able to see the entire spectrum. That means there'll be brand new colors. Not new shades of these colors. I'm talking brand new colors. Hey, suppose we get to heaven and God gives us new eyes that can see the whole spectrum and we'll be able to see the sounds coming off the musical instruments. Right now we can only hear them. What if you could see them? Or smell them? Ah, C major diminished. Play it again. Ah. What if we get new ears that can hear the whole spectrum? What if you could hear the colors? Or smell them? Or taste them? Ah, blue. Wow. We've only got five senses, folks. Maybe there are more. But if God just took these five and expanded them to the max, we would spend forever walking around heaven going, Wow. Have you smelled that? Lick that. Wow. <laughs> My first computer was an IBM XT8088. Four 
0.77 megahertz. When you told it to load a program, you might as well go get lunch and open the mail and take a nap because it's going to be a while. How many had one of those old-time computers? We've upgraded. My computer sitting here now is a Pentium 4, 3.4 gigahertz with hyper-threading, 60 gig hard drive, 2 gig of RAM. The same programs run, but they're much faster and they're in color. That's called a systems upgrade. And you know, if you like living in your body with the sights and sounds and tastes of this world, wait till you get to heaven. You're headed for a systems upgrade that's going to blow your mind. The only question is, are you going? Paul said, I knew a man in Christ 14 years ago who was caught up to the third heaven. I think he's talking about himself. I think he actually died and was caught up to the third heaven. And he heard things that were unspeakable. You can't even explain it. Hey, could you explain colors to a blind man? Try it sometime. Can you explain sounds to a deaf person? Just try that sometime. Can you explain heaven to an earthling? Can't be done. You couldn't understand it. Beyond your capabilities. But boy, for the rest of his life, when Paul came back down, he was anxious to go back to heaven. He told the Philippians, I've got a desire to depart and be with Christ, but I'll stay here because you need me. Paul would go to town preaching and they'd say, Paul, if you don't knock off that preaching, we're going to kill you. Really? Give me your best shot, man. Let's go. He was anxious to go. How about you? You ready to go? God made this world. He owns it. He makes the rules and we all broke his rules. He told us real clearly, thou shalt not bear false witness. Don't lie. We've all lied. He told us, don't steal. We've all stolen. You can read, and that's only 10. There's over 600 commandments in the Old Testament. That's only 10. We've broken a lot of them, folks. There's no question. We are guilty and we're going to be punished. Or we need to find a substitute. That's where Jesus comes in. He's willing and able to substitute for your sins. And February 9th, 1969, I said, Lord, I am a sinner and I deserve to go straight to hell, but I believe you died for me and I'd like you to forgive me. I want you to pay for my sins, Lord. I'm sorry. I have broken your rule. I am hopelessly, helplessly lost. But I believe you can fix it. Please save me. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13. So that day I called on the Lord and gave my heart to Him, and He saved me. And today, if I, go to, if I die, I'm going to heaven. It's not because I'm good. Are you kidding? If I get what I deserve, I'm in trouble. And you are too. The preacher was down praying with the deacon one time, and the preacher took off down, running, running down the aisle, whoo, racing out the back door. And somebody stopped him and said, Preacher, preacher, where are you going? He said, i got to get out of here. He said, Why? Why, preacher? He said, I was down there praying with the deacon. Yeah? So what? That deacon was praying. He said, Lord, just give me what I deserve. I don't want to be close when he gets it, man. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> man, I don't want what I deserve. I want God's mercy. <laughs> Have you got that? If you die today, where would you go? Smoking or non-smoking? You're going to be dead for a really long time. And there you have it, folks. That was the end of this particular episode with Kent Hovind. Um, stay tuned for another episode. The next one we're going to do is Dinosaurs in the Bible. I think you're going to find that one really, really interesting. So thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or anything like that, just give us an email at truthseekers2012 at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.